Last week we began a series talk called Oasis where we talk about this whole thing of how can we get closer to God where we get with Him and, and we have such a close relationship. It's, it's almost like an oasis. It's like a place of rest, a place of, of relief when we get with God. Instead of just being our religion, being more of a burden on our life. For many people, it's just an add-on. Christianity is just an add-on to life as part of life. And we want to talk about uh, that how, how do we get to the place of loving God and loving people the way we should. Because so often there's barriers in our life that hinder us from do that, from doing that. Uh, today we want to talk about how we can, how we need to know ourselves so that we can know God. Um, the reality is, is all of us have filters through which we explore life. For instance, uh, we have four staff persons at Great Oaks that are full time uh, in ministry staff, and the interesting thing about us is that none of us came from the same background. All of us come from different uh, theological backgrounds. Uh, I'm not talking about extreme, but I'm talking about different mixes. None of us grew up in the same denomination, the same type of churches, anything like that. And so when we have conversations on staff, it always is interesting conversations. Uh, for instance, uh, to let you know something about our staff, um, I came from a Southern Baptist background. I grew up in Virginia on the East Coast. I, uh, some of you know that when I speak, you know, you say, oh, yeah, sometimes I'll say y'all and stuff like that. And, 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 and people say, you're not from around here, are you? I say, no, I'm not. Uh, but uh, I came from that background, and so there's some theological understandings. I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. I went to a, a Baptist-related college called Carson Newman College. And, and so I have all that stuff that it kind of filters when I look at Scripture about how I understand Scripture. Now, when we sit down and have staff meetings, I'm not the only person there, though. There's three other guys that are there. Uh, Dan, uh, who's our children's pastor, he came from a Christian and Missionary Alliance background. Uh, he went to a Christian Missionary Alliance school, and he went to Moody Bible Institute. He knows he has a little bit different slant on things. His culture he grew up in was a little different. Uh, Chris grew up in... Um, Grew up in a Christian, or became a Christian, and started going to a Christian church. Uh, it's a denomination called the Christian Church, and he was part of that. And he went to Lincoln uh, School down in down in Lincoln, Illinois. And so he has a little bit of a different uh, slant there as well. And then, and then uh, uh, Nate Nate grew up as an assembly in an assemblies church. And so we have all these different things. And so we have this this way that we look at life. And in a real sense, we talked about this. We all say that the Bible is the bottom line of what we believe. We say Scripture is the thing that we want to understand. But all of us have things that we place on top of it that we filter Scripture through. Uh, our, our church upbringing, our culture that we grew up in, uh, a, a lot of different stuff that, that we have to filter through to get through to, uh, to Scripture and what it has to say. In the same way in life, all of us have other baggage in life. We're going to talk about next week, in a real sense, uh, looking back so we can look forward, uh, that our family that we grew up in influences in so many ways too. We're going to talk about how that influences us and how we need to understand that in good and bad ways and how it helps us to go forward. Now, today what we're going to talk about for a little while is this, this thing about how the awareness of ourselves uh, and our relationship with God are intricately uh, uh, joined together. This is not just something that I, that's a little bit in Scripture. It's not just a little something that's just here and there. It's something that's throughout church history. Um, the first quote from Ephesians says this. It says, uh, Paul said, so get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to, that old self which is be, which, that was being destroyed by its deceitful desires. Your hearts and minds must be made completely new. It's, it compares the old self before we become a Christian and the new self. And then it says, and you must put on the new self. You've got to put it on. It's not something that automatically jumps on you. You know, it's like taking off clothes, putting on new clothes. We'd wish that when we become believers in Christ that all of a sudden all of our old baggage from the past was deleted from us, right? Well, the effects of 
our relationship between us and God is illegal, but those, those, that old baggage is still there, and we have to deal with it, and we have to understand it in some ways. And he says, you've got to put on the new self, which is created in Christ's likeness and reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy. Uh, another uh, person says, this Augustine in Confession says, how can you draw close to God when you're so far from your own self? He understood early on, a great Christian thinker, that if we don't understand who we are, we can't. it hinders us from having a close relationship with God. Um, another person said this, Meister Eichhardt. He said, no one, can know, no one can know God who does not first know himself. Very similar to what Augustine said. And then this next speaker, St. Teresa of Avila, says, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge, of not knowing who we are. Our problems in our spiritual life, the things that hinder us, from being connected with God, stem from a lack of self-knowledge. And then John Calvin in Institutes of Christian Religion says, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. Once again, the idea that there's a strong connection between, between our relationship or understanding ourselves and the ability to really relate to and love God in a real way. Now, we want to talk about how that works today and why it's so important to understand ourselves and live to, to, our, to the true self that God wants us to live. Last week, we, be, we talked a little bit about uh, a guy in the Old Testament. His name was Saul in 1 Samuel. And, and we talked about how he was a person who was the perfect example of a person who was emotionally unhealthy and how it hindered him in his relationship with God. Uh, and I kind of contrasted and compared a little bit with, with another guy in the Old Testament. His name was David. And as you look at the two guys' lives, both of them had difficulties in life. You know, David was a guy who had a lot of problems in life, but David had a totally different relationship with God than Saul. It wasn't about the difficulties. Of, it was about him being aware of his own self, and so he could deal with those things and allow God to work through that and become, in a sense, David became known as a man after God's own heart. Well, Saul was never known for that. He was a person that really kind of pushed God aside. Now, this week I'm going to talk about, not a whole lot about this, but I want to talk about some of the baggage that we have in our culture, uh, in our family culture, in our religious environment, maybe the schools, the friends, the painful experiences we've had, because it's, it's about this. When we deny the pain and the losses and the feelings year after year that it's in our own life, what happens? We become less and less human. And what we do is we, we become kind of transformed into empty shells with smiley faces painted on us. Uh, we're really not who God wants us to be, but we look like we may look good like Saul does on the outside, but underneath we may, may be really messed up. See, one of our greatest obstacles in knowing God is our own lack of self-knowledge. So we end up wearing all kind of masks around people before God, before ourselves, and we can't become self-aware if we don't deal with who we really are and the, ba- the, the things that hinder us from connecting with God. Now, this morning what I want to do in... Um, there's a book and there's a study that some of our small groups are doing on a, on a thing called emotionally healthy spirituality. I always have a str- trouble saying all that. It's a lot. Of, it's a mouthful. Uh, but one of the things he talks about in there is this whole thing of how do you know what it means when you're living not t- true to yourself? And there's actually a, a whole checklist of um, of some of these things. I want to put them up there this morning, and I want you to I want you to think about these things because these are symptoms of what we call a false self, of not really living to the, what God wants you to be. So as we do this, this is a self-check, okay? I want you to think about these as I read these, and I want you to think, do I have any symptoms of this in my life? Okay, the first one, these are the first, just the first half of them here. I say yes when I really mean no. Ever done that? 
You say yes when you really mean no. How about this? I get depressed when people are upset with me. You ever do that? You get depressed because people just don't like you? Okay? I need to, I need to have, a, I need to have a need to be approved by others to feel good about myself. I mean, if people don't feel good about me, I don't feel good about me. Is that you at all? Um, here's another one. I act nice on the outside, but inside I can't stand you. I mean, you ever done that for a person? You know, you look at them, and you have a smiley face on, and you act like, uh, we don't, it, it, that's false. That's false because the, the Bible says, speak the truth, but do it in love. It doesn't say, act like you like somebody when you don't really like them. Be honest, but do it in a nice way. Okay? Another thing, I often remain silent in order to keep the peace. You know, the Bible never tells us to be peacekeepers. It tells us to be a peacemaker. There's a huge difference between the two. We'll talk about that later on. Not today, but later on in this series. Another one is this. I believe that if I make mistakes, I myself am a failure. Let's do a survey. Anybody here made a mistake this week? Anybody? Okay? So we're all... If those of you didn't raise your hand, you're liars. Okay? You have another problem. You're a failure in that sense because you can't tell the truth. So the thing is, is all of us are, all of us have made a mistake this week. Does that mean we're all failures? No. It's a part of being human. And we have to understand it. But so often people say, well, I make a mistake and I'm a failure. Uh, I criticize others in order to make myself, or in order to feel better about myself. That's a common thing that people do. Put other people down because what if you put other people down? It elevates you, supposedly, in your mind. People do that all the time. Okay, how about this next group? Um, I avoid looking weak or foolish for not having the answer. So either I just don't say anything, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, I don't know about school teachers, but I, I know in school a lot of times kids will think, I knew that answer, but I don't want to say it because I might not have, I'm 98% sure that I know the answer, but I won't say that because I might look foolish because we're so concerned about what other people think. Um, I have to be doing something exceptional to feel alive. You know, it, I'm just everyday life. You know, how many of you live mostly everyday lives? Okay, I do. Get up, eat the same stuff, go to work. You know, do, just kind of go through every, very rarely do I do anything exceptional. Does that mean that my life is not worthwhile anymore? Not necessarily, okay? I have to be needed to feel alive. Some people have to be needed. I am fearful and can't take risk. I'm going to go through these last few quickly. I do what others want so they won't get mad at me. You know, you don't want to do it, but you do it because you don't want them to get mad at you. Uh, I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings of inadequacy. Some people just like to have a lot of knowledge, and I like everybody else to know it, you know. And they, so they feel like it makes them worthwhile because they have a lot of knowledge and competence. Here's a good one. I want my children to behave well so others will think I'm a good parent. Is there a problem with that? You better believe it. You should want your parent children to behave, but not so people will think you're a good parent, so your children will grow to be trained in the right way. You know, it's, it's doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I compare myself a lot to other people. These are all symptoms or signs of a, of a false self, of, of things not being the way God wants them to be. Now, today what we want to talk about is this whole thing of, of understanding in a real sense this tr- temptation we have toward living in a false self. Um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is probably one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture that deals with three of the common temptations that we all have toward living in a way that is not really God want, how God wants us to live. Um, 
when I was reading this and preparing for this and reading through uh, Matthew chapter 4, also Luke chapter 4 has the same story in it as well. Um, it outlines three false identities or three masks that Satan offers uh, Jesus and in a sense offers us. You know, the Bible says that Jesus had every temptation that we have. You sometimes we think because Jesus was God, in a sense, he, he didn't have the temptations, but he had every one that we have. But he dealt with them in a different way. And so when we want to look at that passage this morning, so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first few verses there of chapter 4 that deal with this whole thing of, uh, of, giving, of a snapshot of Jesus understanding who he is, his true self. Now, before we even look at that, though, there's a passage right before that in chapter 3 of Matthew, the end of chapter 3, that Jesus, he comes to the place where he's going to be baptized. And once he's baptized, now, now think about it to this point. Here's the setting. Jesus, at this point, had not done really anything public. He had not been involved in any kind of ministry. He had not been, done any miracles. He had not done really anything spectacular or even something that we don't even know much what he did he lived he grew up uh, he lived as a carpenter's son he probably did some carpentry he did a few things like that but nothing spectacular and then when he's baptized though in matthew three seventeen, a voice from heaven comes down the voice of the father and this is what he says this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased now i want you to think about that a second the context of that jesus had done none of the things None of the things that we come to read about in Scripture at this point. He had not done any miracles. He had not done the most incredible thing of all to die for our sins. He's done none of these things. But God already says to him clearly, he says, This is my son whom I love, agape, unconditionally, with whom I well please. In other words, uh, Jesus, you're lovable, you're good. Uh, my love for you is not based upon any of the things that you're going to do. It's unconditional. Now, I want you to understand something. That's how God loves us. But so often we're tempted to, under, to think that God loves us because of some other things. And so following that, in chapter 4, we read about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He was getting ready to do his ministry, to begin to do the things that he came to the earth to do. And as he was going through these he goes out into the wilderness to be alone with him and God. And, but during this time, Satan begins to tempt him. And each, and in each of these uh, temptations uh, are the same things that we're tempted with. And in a sense, it's this. God's, we say to ourselves, God's love is not enough. I'm not lovable. And, and I'm not good enough, so I have to do something more. This is the temptation. Let's read these. Let's think about these this morning. First temptation is this. I am what I do. I am what I do. It's called performance. Um, Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to him, came to Jesus and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do something, Jesus. You hadn't done anything so far. You lived on the earth for 30 years and you've not really done anything. You kind of lived in a carpenter shop. You lived a quiet life. If you're the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, do something to prove it. So the Father will accept you and love you. You see, our culture asks this same question of us. It asks us this question, what have you achieved recently? How have you demonstrated your usefulness? What do you do? I mean, when guys get together, what do we talk about? How Our self-worth? No, yeah, we do. What we think gives us worth. We talk about what, what are guys when guys get together? Guys, you can talk. Sports are, number one, our job. Our job. 
Most guys will ask this question of each other when they first meet. They don't know anything. What do you do? Not who are you. What do you do? Now, girls, I don't know if you, you talk. You talk about your kids or your relationships, but it's, that's another issue, okay? But that right now we're talking about this issue of performance. What do you do? And so the first temptation in life is to define ourselves, our worth, by what we do. God said that is not what defines who we are. See, most of us consider ourselves worthwhile if we have scored sufficient successes in work, in family, in school, in church, in relationships, you name the list. When we don't, we may move, we may move harder and faster and try to do more to make ourselves feel better about who we are. And if we don't do it, guess what we do? We go into deep depression uh, or, we, or we just quit out of shame or we start placing blame on others for our predicament. We do all these things. And when we do that, what happens is it, it, it helps us not to be, we're not our true self. We're not the person that was created by God in his image that's loved by God because we think that God requires more. But God says, hey, I love you just as you are. Now, I want you to be a certain way, but I love you. I want your, the best for you, but I love you and I accept. He said to Jesus Christ, I love you because of you. I choose to. That's the first temptation that we have is to think that we can have that we can do something for God performance. And because of that, what it is, is that we uh, will be more loved by God and we can love him more. The second temptation is this. I am what others think. Popularity. I'm what others think. Popularity. It says in Matthew chapter four, verses five and six. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, Satan invited Jesus to go up into the highest spot on the temple and jump, jump down and do a spectacular thing so that people would believe in him. You see, at this point, did anybody know anything about Jesus? Not really. He was an unknown factor at this point in the history of the world. He was kind of, he was, lived in a small town. He lived a quiet life. He had done nothing spectacular. And he was getting ready to start his ministry. And Satan's temptation to him was this. Hey, you need to jumpstart your ministry so people will really believe in you and think you're really special. And you do that, become popular. You know, how would people think of you, of your worth and value if you don't do something spectacular? See, most of us place a higher premium on what other people think than we realize. Let's just be honest. I mean, what will I say or not say in a conversation? In our world today, I mean, this whole political correctness thing is, is insane. I mean, the Bible says, once again, speak the truth, but do it in love. But so often we're so afraid of what somebody will think because we speak the truth and do it even when we do it in love that we won't say anything. I will think about, well, what school will my child attend? What will people think if they go to that school? Or, or, or who will I date? Or, or do I tell that person he or she hurt me? Instead of being honest with people, we just hold back because we're so afraid of what people think. Or what kind of career will I pursue? You know, I may want to make something that's a really, you know, well-known career. I mean, if I want to be something that's not really well-known or something that's popular, man, I don't want to do that because, you know, it may not be, even though God made me that way, what else should I do? See, our self-image soars with a compliment, and it's devastated by criticism. The fact is this, true freedom, true freedom comes when we no longer need somebody, 
special and we don't no longer need need to be somebody special in other people's eyes because we know that we are lovable and good enough because we're created by God but the temptation once again is not just simply uh, it's it's about popularity the third temptation is interesting as well this is the one I'll think I gets us all the third temptation is this I am what I have possessions Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Then again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And then he says to Jesus, All this I will give you if you will not be true to yourself, if you will bow down and worship me, Satan. See, Jesus was taken to see all the magnificence of the earth and the power of the earth and the day, devil basically said to him, look around at what everybody else has. Don't you, don't you want that? Don't you need that? All the stuff that's out there. Because right now, Jesus, I mean, you've been, a, you've been probably a, a guy who's lived a very meager life. You don't have a whole lot of stuff. Maybe nothing more than the clothes on your back. And the devil played on the profound issues of fear and a source of security, which so often we think comes in possessions. See, our culture measures success by what we own. That's true. Marketers spend $15 billion annually seducing our children and adolescents to believe that they have to have certain toys, like iPads. This is a really cool toy, but I don't have to have it. I really didn't expect to get it. But the thing is, is that in our culture, you know, so often we think we have to have certain clothes, certain toys, and, and true, other people put the pressure, because other people put the pressure on us to have those things. And you're saying, well, that's, that's great. That's, that's adolescence and children. No, as adults, we measure ourselves through comparisons. You know, who has the most money? For some reason, we think that people who have the most money and look good are of more value than people who have a little bit of money and don't look as good. We value beauty, a beautiful body. I mean, how often do you see commercials with people who are overweight and ugly? Let's just be honest. Doesn't happen. See, often ourself, our sense of worth is tied up to our positions at work. The money and the perks. Uh, who has the best education from what school? The most talents and awards. The most degrees on their resume. Who has the most attentive or handsome or uh, boyfriend or husband? Or who has the best looking girlfriend or wife? For some reason, we value these things in our culture, which are, are false things in a real sense that give us really our worth. See, Jesus, through this struggle with temptation, all these struggles, the same struggles that we have, he found his worth in his relationship with the Father. How do I know that? Because of the response he gives at the end in verse 10. Matthew 14, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. I don't want any more of these temptations. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Jesus defined his, his self-worth. He knew who he was. He knew what his purpose was in life. And it had nothing to do with any of the temptations that we commonly have in life. And because of that, he gives us a lesson here about, you know, okay, what's most important? If we're really going to love God and serve God, if we're really going to have a relationship with him where we love God and love others, other people, then we have to get serious with ourselves because the, remember the great commission or great commandment once again says, 
love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we, leave, we, sometimes we think loving ourselves is something wrong with it. No, God says love ourselves in a healthy way. Loving ourselves in a healthy way means that we understand that God loves us simply who we are. I, I love the, uh, this week um, in this little booklet, and some of you picked it up. It's called Daily Office. It's a devotional book. We have copies of it you can purchase out in the, in the lobby. On day two, it says this, and I love reading uh, uh, people who have really deep thinkers because I'm not one. Um, it says this, Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux, the abbot of a Cistercian monastery, monastery in France, was perhaps the greatest leader and writer of his day. In his great work, Loving God, Bernard, Bernard describes four degrees of love. And I've read this before, but then it kind of took me back because it made me mindful of something. He said the lowest degree of love is loving ourselves for our own sake. You know, I love myself because I'm selfish. That's basically what it says. The second degree of love, a little higher love, is loving God for his gifts and blessings. Loving God because he gives us stuff. The third degree of love, a higher love, is this, loving God for himself alone. And normally I would think that's the highest degree of love. Loving God simply because he's God, not because he's given me anything or because he's anything else, simply because he's God. But Bernard makes this point, and I think it's a point based on Scripture. He says this, the highest degree of love, once we love God for himself alone, we have to go beyond that because then he says the highest degree of love is loving ourselves for the sake of God. Seeing ourselves as God sees us and loving ourselves that way. Now, think about that. Chew on that for a while. Because the reality is until you understand yourself, and that's what all these writers, and these, these things I was telling you about earlier and, and mentioning to you what Scripture says about Paul says, doubt of your old self and become your new self. Understand that your new self is, is, is what God wants you to be. Unless we get, get, get real with ourselves, then we will never, we will never get to the place of loving God the way God wants to be loved. Or we will never love people the way he wants us to love them. You see, I have to tell you this. If I was to think about, and I think you would agree with this, of the one person that's ever lived in history who lived his life totally in the center of God's will, who would that be? This is not a hard question. I just gave you an answer. Jesus, okay? That being the case, you would think that that would simplify everything else in his life, right? Living to his true self, would, would make, make everything right in his relationships with everybody else. Everybody would just love him, right? No. By him living to his true self, basically he disappointed everybody else in life because they did, lived by a different drummer. He disappointed his family because in Mark 3.21, basically at one point when he said that he was going to be the Messiah of the world, guess what their response was? Oh, great, Jesus. We, I think it's a great plan for your life. No. They said, you're out of your mind. Man, good support from family. He disappointed the people he grew up in Nazareth with. In his old neighborhood, I don't know who he hung out with or whatever, you know. But when Jesus declared in his village where he'd grown up that he was to be the Messiah, guess what they tried to do? Read Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 29. They tried to push him off a cliff. I call that major disappointment. He disappointed his closest friends, his, the disciples, when even as an adult. They projected Jesus to be a different type of Messiah than he ended up being. 
And they were constantly asking and questioning his, his validity of his mission, of his purpose. He disappointed the religious leaders of that day because they did not appreciate the disruption his presence brought to their everyday lives or to their theology. And while Jesus was not selfless, he did not live as if only other people counted. He knew his value and worth. He had friends. He asked people to help him. He didn't live alone. At the same time, Jesus was not selfish either. He did not live as if no one else counted. He gave his life out of love for others. And he did this because he had a healthy, mature relationship with God and because he had an understanding of who he was. And it had nothing to do with popularity or possessions or any other things that usually cause us to say, hey, that gives me worth. See, the pressure to live life on us to live life that is not our own is great. It's great. The pressure to live life that is not our own is great. Uh, There's all kind of powerful generational forces and spiritual warfare going against us. Yet faithfully living to our true self in Christ represents one of the great tasks for us to really grow as a Christian and to be who God wants us to be. This morning, what I want to do as we close, I want to just give you four quick, uh, four quick things uh, that will help you in a real sense to begin the process of dismantling this false self that we allow to happen in our life. Four things that we need to do, real simple things. I've already mentioned some of them last week, but I, I found these to be true in my life as well. Some of the things that we have to do if we're going to, uh, in a real sense, um, live faithful to the true self we are in Christ. And these are things that, that are simple, but they're not often things we do. Number one, we need to pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. We just need to be quiet and listen to God. Because there's enormous distractions that keep us from listening to our feelings and our desires and our dreams and our likes and our dislikes, and they're all part of who we are. And asking ourselves the hard questions about, okay, how can I live closer to what God wants me to be? We just stay busy. I think, you know, like I said last week, Satan's greatest tool is busyness. Busyness, busyness. Never be quiet. I want to tell you that a few years ago, and I shared this before, if you've been in the church any time for a time, uh, you know that uh, I've gone through some other, I've shared with you, I'm very honest, try to be honest with you, that, you know, being a pastor doesn't mean you don't have personal spiritual struggles. And a few years ago, about, about three or four years before I came to Great Oaks, I went through probably one of the lowest periods of my life. I questioned whether I even needed to be in ministry anymore. And during that time, I'm going to tell you, this, this whole thing of getting quiet before God and listening to God became one of the most strategic things that ever happened in my life. I came to a place about three and a half years before I came here of saying, hey, you know, am, am, am I really going to be in ministry anymore? So I, I did something I've never done before. I'd never done to that point in my life. I went to, I, I looked, on, looked and found out this retreat, and it was called a gathering of silence. Now, don't you usually go to retreats and go to, go to conferences to learn stuff? You know, you come back with these notebooks filled with great ideas, and you put them on the shelf and you never use them again. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, some of you probably have dozens of notebooks on shelves from conferences you've been to, and you've never used anything in those things. They were great ideas. You thought they were fantastic. But the problem was is that I, I was doing all those things, and I said, hey, I need to get quiet. I need to get alone. But I found, let me tell you something. When I got alone, what it is, this was a gathering of about 30 pastors in this huge retreat center that usually held hundreds up on the mountains in the, in the mountains uh, in Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, near the Appalachian Trail. 
And our deal was this. What we were supposed to do is we were supposed to get there. We got there that night before. And the next morning, starting at breakfast, from breakfast to dinner that day, we could not speak. This is 30 pastors. It was insanity. It was the worst thing I'd ever done the first day. Let me tell you, I was like a caged animal. I had no cell phone, no computer, nothing. A a Bible, a journal, and a beautiful mountain. That's all I had. And so I began the process that first day. It was a three-day retreat. That first day of walking, uh, hiking on the path. And I felt like a caged animal. I couldn't slow down. I couldn't stop. I found myself, I, I, I was really, it was terrible to not speak. I mean, that won't surprise too many of you that I couldn't, you know, it was really tough. But the reality was it was a tough thing to do. But I found myself after I calmed down after the second day and I was quiet up there, God began to speak, not in an audible voice, but he began to call me and help me to listen to him in ways that I'd never listened before. And out of that experience, out of that experience, what happened was as we began, Vicki and I, uh, uh, my wife, I went back home, we shared, we began to pray about it, and we began to be quiet before God and say some, ask God some questions. We began to ask God, okay, God, what does you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? And he gave us a new direction from that. And if I hadn't slowed down and listened, I don't think I would. I think I would have left the ministry at that point. And the thing about that is that in the midst of that, you know, I've got to be honest with you. At first, um, when I listened to God, he told me some stuff I didn't want to hear. That's sometimes the reason we don't be quiet. And Vicky and I kind of, we began to pray and we began to say, okay, God, okay, God, if you really want us to stay in ministry, okay, we'll be open to go anywhere you want us to go as long as it's south and warm. <laughs> we really prayed that. Like, God, you know, I want your plan for my life, but here's some stipulations. Here's some strings attached to it. And guess what? For two years, God didn't answer our prayer. I'm glad he didn't because that was a selfish prayer. It was a comfortable prayer, but it was a selfish prayer. It wasn't until we came to the point of saying, God, I'll go anywhere. Vicki and I both together say, God, we'll go anywhere you want us to go. Then he began to open the door. And I've shared how that happened. Just within a week's time, I had like 10 different potential openings and churches that were all over the place. And and Great Oaks was one of those. And I believe it was because of that silence and listening and finally coming to a place of God breaking barriers down in my own life. Okay, hey, God, it's not about this. It's not about this. It's about me. Follow me. Listen to me. That God began to work in my life. That's the first thing we need to do. Pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. I find myself sometimes recently needing to go back to that, not because I have any major crisis in ministry, but simply I find myself at a place where, you know, I realize I need to spend the day away from the office just to be quiet with God. I need to spend some time just with God because I get busy and busy and busy and and just feel overwhelmed sometimes. A second thing I find that's important as well, and I think the Scripture supports this as well, if we're really going to get serious about our relationship with God, is we need to find trusted companions. I will tell you during this time that it wasn't just me listening with God, but when that night, each night as, as the pastors would get back together, we would be silent from, from breakfast to dinner. But after dinner, at 7 o'clock, we would have a, a, a debriefing time. And we would begin the process of asking each other, how was your time with God today? And we would challenge each other. And then when I went home, I've always done this for a long time, but I'm, I have people who, who I talk to and who I listen to who are trusted companions who, who listen to me and say, hey, uh, you know, that may not be God speaking. 
Because there's two critical forces that hinder a profound shift in who we are and what God wants us to do. The first is the pressure of others to keep us living lives that are not our own. That's an enormous pressure sometimes. The second is our own stubborn self-will. And, and the only way for us to get past that is, first of all, to get silent before God and say, God, I'll, I'll, I want to listen. I want to hear. And secondly, to find people who are trusted companions who will help you through the journey of walking and, and, and asking the hard questions of life. A third thing we need to do if we're, gonna, if we're really going to become who God wants us to be and, and live to our true self is to move out of your comfort zone. See, dying to our false self and allowing our true self to come out can be frightening. Let me tell you something. Let me, when we prayed that prayer, Vicki and I prayed that prayer, God will go anywhere you want us to go. That was the scariest prayer. Because, man, I never would have considered some of the places God wanted us to go. I mean, we had all kinds of strange places, Germantown Hills, Illinois, I mean, we ended up here. We had never, st- I told you before, we never stepped foot in the Midwest. It was an unknown country. And we didn't know it was far, it, it was far away from family. It was far away from friends. It was far away from a lot of things. But, but God really helped us through that. See, the pain of living, I found this, the pain of living a life that was not God's for me finally was greater than the pain of change. And you have to get to that place in life so that God can really connect with you and you can be who God wants you to be. And finally, I want to tell you this. This is the final point is this. We need to pray. You need to pray for courage. Because when you ask God, you get silent with God, and you begin to talk to him about things. He begins to, act, to respond. And you begin to talk to other people about stuff. And you begin to, to do this whole thing of, of, of moving out of your comfort zone. Not everybody's going to be happy with it. When we shared with, uh, with, uh, with our kids about coming... Coming here, you know, our kids were fine with it. Our daughter, she was in college. She didn't really care. You know, she was not going to be living with us anymore anyway. Our son, who was going into eighth grade, it was a great change for him. It was actually a breath of fresh air for him. And a lot of things good came out of that. But I want to tell you, not everybody in our family was real happy with the move. Because both our parents, we had lived uh, lived within uh, five miles of for all our lives. And I don't, I'm not really sure that it was about me and Vicky. It was more about the grandkids. You're moving 780 miles away from us? And other friends, you know, began to ask the question, you know, is that what you... Not everybody will be happy. So you've got to pray for courage when God tells you to do something and, and it's clear that that's from God and God wants you to be true to yourself. But I believe that's the only way that we can really live life God wants us to live. We have to ask God, who is it you want me to be? Aside from all the pressures that are outside us to be something that we're not. The only way that we can really live the life God wants us to live is to know who we are in Christ and to live that life. I love the the prayer that Augustine prayed in that uh, confessions. He said this, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself that I might know thee. There's a a close tie between knowing ourselves and knowing God. And as long as you're eat up with being something that you're not and being false, then you won't know God. Not in the deep way.
What I want you to do this next week is this. On the back of your bulletin, if you have your bulletins, there's a little uh, bunch of, there's some questions. And what I'd like for you to do each week, I told, shared with, if you were here last week, we had this on the back of the bulletin last week, and we'll have it next week, and we'll have it every week of the series for the next six weeks. I want you to go home, and I want you to take this, and I want you, this is kind of a self-evaluation about where you are in relation to some of these things we've talked about today. And I want you to ask yourself some hard, get, get quiet, get with God, get quiet, and just spend some time uh, just, just with God and, and, and just answer some of these questions. Evaluate where you are. And then hold on to these because as we go through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to compile these. And at the end of the series, we're going to give you kind of a, a, an overview of how this works together. And so you can kind of judge yourself where you are emotionally and ask yourself, what next step do I need to take in regards to this journey with God? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.